Welcome to this worship service at the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia. We hope you will join us some Sunday morning here in Old Town, Alexandria. Again, welcome. Listen for God's voice. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, wait here for us until we come to you again. For Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Given our altered order of worship this morning, you've already heard and sung major portions of our gospel lesson for today, but perhaps third time's the charm. So listen to how Matthew tells the story. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Well, then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. So if you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright, light, bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Please join with me in prayer. God, our light, make us attentive to your word as to a lamp shining in a dark place, so that seeing your truth, we may live faithful lives until that great day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Amen. Well, today is another hinge day on the liturgical calendar. 
Known as Transfiguration Sunday, it marks the end of the season of Epiphany and sets the stage for the season of Lent. Epiphany, as you know, is about light, illumination, and revelation. It tells us how the babe of Bethlehem became, became the light of the world and how we, as his followers, are also called to be light for the world. Lent, on the other hand, is about the events that lead Jesus to the cross and how we, as his followers, are also called to the cross. As you will hopefully notice, our gospel lesson for today incorporates both themes, closing the door on one liturgical season and opening the door on another. Now, if you're at all like me, you probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about Transfiguration Sunday. There are no cards to send. There are no parties to host. There are no liturgical acts to mark this day on the church calendar. And the word itself, transfiguration, is a strange sounding word, a, a word that rarely, if ever, crosses our lips. So it helps to know that it's based on the same root word as metamorphosis, suggesting some sort of transformation or change, which of course is exactly what happens to the lead characters in today's scripture lessons. Early readers of Matthew's gospel would have heard echoes of Exodus 24, and that's intentional. As most scholars note, Matthew's story of Jesus is Moses-shaped. That is to say, it's meant to enable people to see and understand Jesus as a new Moses, one who leads and empowers the people of God. And so the similarities between the two stories are striking. Moses and Jesus are both born under the threat of death by the powers that be. Moses receives the law on a mountain and Jesus extends the law on a mountain. Both stories note three companions, a dark cloud enveloping the mountain, a six-day wait, and most importantly, a man infused with heavenly light that will soon be shared with the world. Both stories, I submit to you, are meant to strengthen and guide the faith of their respective witnesses for the long and arduous journeys that lay ahead of them. It's no accident that these transfigurations take place on mountains because in the ancient world, mountains are places of divine revelation, places where people experience life-altering encounters with God. According to the scriptures, Moses is on the mountain for a very long time, 40 days and 40 nights, so long that it changes him physically as well as spiritually. And when he finally comes down from the mountain, it is said that he glows with God light. Jesus is on the mountain for a very short time, but it's long enough to make his face shine like the sun. Now, scholars really don't know what to do with these stories. As one says, it's hard to explain billowy clouds, blinding light, visions of dead people, and the voice of God without sounding like some sort of nut. Another says, we shouldn't even try. And still another says, this might be where the expression, I guess you had to be there, began. <laughs> the only thing we can say with any degree of certainty is this. 
that whatever happened on those mountains, those light-infused events led to light-infusing events in the valleys down below. It's fair to say, I think, that neither Moses nor Jesus needed these experiences in order to boost their own confidence or increase their own faith. So this suggests to me and others that whatever happened on the mountain was in fact meant for the people down below. People who needed to know that Moses and Jesus were speaking on behalf of God. So this is why in the first instance the glory of the Lord appears like fire on the mountain in the sight of all the people of Israel. And this is why in the second instance a voice from the cloud says to all the gathered disciples, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. But to paraphrase the New Testament scholar Audrey West, then and now the full meaning of the mountaintop experience does not become clear until after the return to the valley and after the passage of time. After they come down from the mountain, the disciples listen as the voice instructed them to do. The disciples hear Jesus' parables. They hear his response to his friends and foes alike. They hear his repeated references to the Son of Man suffering and dying and rising and coming again to establish God's kingdom. And yet, it's still hard for them to understand what they had seen and heard. The full meaning. The full meaning came after the resurrection on another mountain where Jesus had directed them to go. And it was there on that mountain in the company of the gathered community that his followers received the promise that his story and their story will forever be entwined. Whether they were on mountaintops or in valleys or somewhere in between. For then, and on that mountain, Jesus said, remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, as we've read and heard, as Matthew tells the story, it's clear that Peter doesn't understand what he's just witnessed on the mountain. And so without thinking, he jumps into action and offers to build three dwellings, one for Jesus and one each for Moses and Elijah, who had somehow suddenly appeared out of thin air. We don't know why Peter would make such an offer, but it really doesn't matter because, again, as Matthew tells the story, God interrupts Peter to affirm who Jesus is and to tell him and the other disciples to listen to Jesus. It's also worth noting that when all is over, when Moses and Elijah are gone, when the voice of God is no longer heard, when Jesus' face is no longer shining like the sun, all that is left is Jesus. As David Lowe's puts it, whatever these signs and symbols may have meant, the disciples are once again left with their Lord, their teacher, their friend. And this, says Lowe's, is perhaps one of the signature characteristics of Matthew's gospel. Jesus, the one whose face shone like the sun. Jesus, the one equal to Moses and Elijah. Jesus, the one whom God proclaims to be God's beloved son, will not leave them. And it's true. Jesus does not leave them. 
And then seeing how his dazzling light and God's powerful voice has frightened his disciples, Jesus reaches out and touches them and says, do not be afraid, get up. And then Jesus leads them back down the mountain, back to the places they already know. And friends, that is what this story is meant to do for us as well. As one commentator puts it, transfiguration is an invitation to return to our communities and our lives with renewed attention and patience, awaiting the luminescence of the mundane and to attend to the present and wonder at the ordinary and to let this life astonish us with the sacred. I don't know about you, but I think of worship in much the same way. I see it as an invitation to see God in a new way, in an invitation to then return to our homes and our businesses with renewed attention, looking for those places where God might astonish us with something sacred. Like transfiguration, worship is also a mystical and often mysterious experience. Sometimes we get it, and frankly, sometimes we just don't. But as Brett Younger suggests, if, if we worship with the hope and expectation that we will catch a glimpse of God, then, then there will likely be moments when the boundaries all melt away and we find our place with God. I think Younger is right. Worship can be and often is a time and a place for seeing and experiencing God in a new and different way. A time and place for listening to Jesus and for learning how to live and work as children of God and citizens of God's kingdom. But like Jesus' first disciples, we can't stay here and worship. Having been to the mountain, having somehow been transfigured by the light of God, we too must go back down to the valleys to share that light with those who are still living and working in darkness. As I've shared with you previously, whenever I read or hear about the transfiguration, I find myself thinking about what Dr. Martin Luther King said and what turned, to be, turned out to be his last sermon. And that's because for me, his words offer some insight into today's lessons and also insight into the work that awaits us on our Lenten journeys. King said, we've got some difficult days ahead, but that doesn't really matter now because I have been to the mountaintop. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that we as a people will get there. For my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Today, as on every Sunday, hopefully, we've been given an opportunity to go to the mountain, an opportunity to see something of the glory of the Lord an opportunity to get some God light to share with the world. So to borrow from my old friend, Joe Harvard, God gives us mountaintop experiences that are meant to be transformative, 
They change the way we see the world and the way we see ourselves. So business as usual is no longer possible after we have seen the vision of God's good future revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Such experiences, he says, are meant to give us confidence in the presence and the power of God's love to sustain us through our trials and tribulations. Transfigurations are a signal that a new day is on the way, that God is indeed moving us toward a whole new world. And once our eyes are open to God's good future, we can never go back. But we can go down the mountain to be a healing presence, a presence to those who are hurting. We can work for justice and peace. We can offer the world hope. We, like those before us, may not be able to explain the transfiguration stories, but we can tell about the power and the purpose of God to make all things new in Jesus Christ. May the Spirit enable you and me to do just that. Amen. As we prepare now for a time of congregational prayer together, please do note the prayer concerns listed in your bulletin and keep those people and their families in your prayers throughout the week. And let us pray together. O oh God of light and revelation, so often the news of the world seems to press in upon us. We scroll through, swiping from catastrophe to exhilaration to drama. Help us to pause, to breathe, to behold, rather than barrel through your world. In the stillness and silence of this morning, may we behold your radiant presence. May your light shine in and through us this day. O God of love and mercy, you created every land and nation and all the peoples of this earth. Let us breathe and behold you in the face of each person we encounter. We pray for people all around the world, for those living in the midst of violence, for those suffering under oppression, for those who live as refugees. We pray, God, for the families of those who've died from the coronavirus and for the impact it's had on so many. We pray for everyone struggling in the wake of earthquakes, fire, and drought. We ask, God, your comfort and strength and courage, your hope and healing for all who suffer. We pray, God, that you might be with your world and that we might care for one another, that we might find our way toward justice and peace. We pray for all who are in pain we pray for all who are suffering. 
We pray for those who don't have enough to eat or a safe place to live or the health care they need. We pray for those struggling to make ends meet. We pray for those struggling with addiction. And we pray for all, God, who seek healing in body, mind, or spirit. We pray for those facing death. And we pray for those who grieve. May your spirit be with us and among us, bringing healing to all wounds, making all that is broken whole, shedding light in every darkness, bringing peace and courage and hope so that we might all know and see your glory. O God of all creation, you know the deep yearnings of our heart. You know our pain, our questions, our uncertainties, our fears. May your presence be with us, teaching us, forgiving us, calling us forward, and reminding us of your love. May we breathe. May we behold your radiance. May we open our hearts to blessing and to life. Hear these our prayers we bring to you as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.